Mastermind.fm is proudly sponsored by Liquid Web. While Liquid Web has been best known as a managed hosting company with tons of options, it's also designed a managed WordPress offering that is perfect for mission-critical sites. If you're looking for improved performance, maximized uptime, and incredible support, Liquid Web is the partner you've been waiting for. Now with Visual Compare, at first in the managed WordPress space, automatically updates your plugins. Each night we take a snapshot and visually compare the difference between each plugin. If there's no visual difference, we update the plugin for you. If there is a visual difference, we hold off updating that plugin and wait for your direction. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer also has iTheme Sync integrated into their management portal, allowing them to update several sites with a single touch. And if you sign up today using the discount code MASTERMIND33, you'll get 33% off for the next six months. Visit liquidweb.com forward slash managed WordPress to get started. everyone and welcome to another episode of mastermind.fm i'm excited to uh, have you all listening today i have with me a good friend robbie mccullough one of the holy trinity of a three partnership team behind beaver builder so it's really exciting to have him on i'm a customer of beaver builder i use the product i love it a lot of times from a developer standpoint we ask why would you use a page builder sometimes people will ask the same thing of our product ninja forms right like if you're a developer why would you use a form builder and it's for speed it's for efficiency it's for being able to get prototypes up quickly and fast and sometimes it's just because you want to get an idea launched as quickly as possible and don't want to have to dig into all of the complexities that may come into developing it by hand and so these these tools that let you do drag and drop are helpful to both the professional who could do it by hard, you know, like writing the code and getting deep, deep down. But why would you if you don't have to? <laughs> That's really what it comes down to in a lot of ways. So, Robbie, welcome. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, yeah, glad to be here. Excited to chat. So I gave a really kind of basic overview, right? You have two other partners. For people who may not be as familiar with Beaver Builder and, and just the company as a whole, where you guys kind of came from, can you give us a little bit of a background yeah. Yeah. Well, starting with me, my name is Robbie McCullough. I'm, as James mentioned, one of the co-founders of Beaver Builder. Beaver Builder is a drag and drop page builder for WordPress. So you can visually lay out a page on your WordPress website using Beaver Builder. We just celebrated our third birth. I say just, I guess the time keeps flying and flying. It was, it was over a month <laughs> yeah. ago now, but yeah, back in April, we celebrated our third birthday as a product. <sighs> so We've been out for about three years now, and we started out as a web design agency. So myself and Justin and Billy, we were building websites for clients. We had a little office in uh, Silicon Valley in Campbell, California. Yeah, basically, we started working on Beaver Builder as a tool that we were going to be using internally on our own projects, and it evolved, and we decided to productize it and sell it. And then long story short, three years later, uh, here we are. <laughs> in the product space, I love it. So internally, were you you just building something that you were going to just use on your own? Were you going to be using it on clients' projects or, you know, just to kind of, again, kind of talked about what we were thinking about, like, hey, this could actually help us build things out more rapidly and we can spend all of our time hand coding every little thing that we do. So that was kind of the focus initially with doing a Beaver Builder or actually just a page builder. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was one of those scratch your own itch stories where... We had no intention of, of getting into the product space or building a product when we started working on Beaver Builder. 
Justin is our, our lead developer, kind of master builder. Mm -hmm. And so he's been throwing around. I know he's been chewing on the idea of a visual website builder for a lot longer than than when we were working on Beaver Builder. It had been an idea of his that he'd been kind of wanting to execute for a long time. But yeah, the original start was just to build a tool that we could use on our own projects. We had used a page builder on a client site, and we didn't like the experience of the actual software, but we did like the experience of using a visual design tool and then mm -hmm. delivering a website that the client could then jump in and make changes on their own. Yeah. So you just you said you just celebrated your three-year anniversary. What's a team look like now? I know you have your the three partners. What else is the makeup of your team currently? Yeah, it's wild. It, everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger and, and growing and growing. Um, we always kind of flip flop a little bit on what the exact number is because <laughs> we've had a lot of contractors and a lot of people that kind of have come and gone and that, you know, when they have availability might come in and, you know, put some pull requests in or, or, or work on the project. But we're up to about 11 kind of full time regular uh, folks on the team now. And it started out, we just brought on one extra guy. Uh, he was based in the Philippines to help us out with technical support. And then that grew and blossomed to having a team of support folks and then having uh, another team of development folks. And then we have a couple of kind of one-off people that we all wear a lot of hats, but that, that maybe fill multiple roles or kind of bounce around and what their responsibilities and title are. Right. So currently you're looking at about 11 people split up for purposes of traditional explanation, kind of a development department, a support department, and then a lot of just hats that would might otherwise become departments, but are just now just single jobs. Like I'm doing some social <laughs> media stuff and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and just everyone shares everything. Sound about right? Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. To try and put uh, traditional labels on traditional, you know, distributed <laughs> open source software company. That's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, you know, you and I have two similar size teams, I would say. We have about 10 people on our team, but we are completely and totally local where you have 11 people on your team and completely distributed. We are actually in the process right now where we have realized that we have to shift our organizational structure or our operating system of our company because we kind of hired our first two hires and became like a team of four to five people. And then when we got to 10, we've never changed anything. And we've started to realize some growing pains of, oh, we can't manage the 10 people the same way we were managing five. Like all of a sudden it's changed. Like looking at all kinds of organizational structures and operating systems to kind of think about how we want to handle that business. Do you guys ever think through that? Or have you guys just been like, we're just embracing the chaos and just bringing people on? Uh, that's a really interesting way to look at it. I mean, I think it's a, a little bit of both. Yeah. Particularly, I bet we're in like a kind of similar journey in that. And I wonder if you guys are kind of a few steps ahead of us in the path on that journey. Because so it, are you talking about things like reporting relationships or managements kind of like, you know, you have your manager that oversees teams of X number of people and what that number is, you know, like what's optimal there and how that all fits together? That's some good clarification, right? So I think, you know, here's some things that we've noticed as a company. You know, if you work for an enterprise organization or something, there's generally a clear path of how people are developed, who they report to, how accountability is dealt with. 
and how do we deal with issues and challenges that rise up on a day-to-day basis, a week, a month, a year? What is our purpose? And so in a major or corporation, you may have the CEO who then underneath him has like either other executive staff over departments, and those departments trickle down into multiple managers. And obviously for our size, that's way too complicated of a structure. But most of us, when we come in the tech space, we generally try to operate as flat as possible. It's like, well, we don't really have hierarchy and managers and supervisors, but there still is a system underlying the organization that says, this is how accountability works in our business. This is how we make decisions. This is how we solve problems. This is how we hold each other accountable to the work that's being done. And we've been dealing with a lot of Like, what does that look like for us as a company? Because the truth is, if we don't put some system in place, I don't see us getting to 20. You know, I just, there needs to be something that helps us kind of think through how does that growth look and how does that take place? So I'm just, I'm curious as if you guys have ever sat down and had those conversations like, usually it comes up because an issue arises and you don't have a system in place to solve that issue. And you're like, oh, we, we really should deal with this. And that's the same thing keeps popping up over and over and over again. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. And it's like almost having a framework for how to manage these things makes the decision making process a lot easier. Yeah. And hiring someone is a big decision. Right. And and Mm -hmm. setting up uh, chains of command or, you know, reporting structures is also complicated. But if you have, you know, some ideas or a foundation in place on, on, you know, a structure to make those decisions, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've really gotten to that point. So where what we're doing and where we're at and that kind of mm-hmm. that path is we primarily work with contractors. And so we have a lot of contractors that we've been working with both here in the States and internationally. But we've gotten to this point where we've kind of we've realized the limitations on working with like a 1099 contractor as opposed to bringing on a full time employee. Yeah. So we're in the spot right now where we're exploring what it means to hire on someone as a full time employee and then also the kind of logistics and complications of that when you're dealing with people that are either out of state or out of country. Okay. I think we need to get that part for our company, at least get that part figured out first before we can kind of continue along along and make more progress there in terms of building out a, a management structure, I guess. That's fair. So currently with your 11 people, you're dealing mostly with contractors at this point, 1099s and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Which is a different beast, right? That was one of the questions that we came up with when we were hiring. We knew we wanted to build a local company, but then it says, when do we hire somebody who's not local? When do we make that decision? What does that look like? And, you know, the process, depending on where you're located, it's different based on country, based on in the U.S. and states. Generally, you set up a nexus in a state. I mean, as best as I understand it, having not done it myself, you basically set up another organization that is set up in that state of the same name, same whatever, pay taxes in that state, and you basically have to do everything. We kind of decided, like, that sounds like an administrative nightmare. I'm just going to skip it, and we'll just hire everyone local. (laughs) Or maybe skip, stay with 1099 employees. (laughs) Yeah, I think both decisions are wise if you can get away with it because it has it is it, it's it's very it's not easy. No, it's not. It has been a really complex complex process. But yeah, so it, so we're in the trenches of that right now. Like maybe, you know, the next time you and I chat, hopefully I'll have some good good progress. Or I wish I'd chatted with you a month ago because you obviously know more about hiring uh, <laughs> hiring employees than we do. I guess it's yeah, when you start getting out of state and out of country things things get complicated. Yeah, it's certainly does challenging. 
it's interesting to think about because at first we were mainly just hiring support staff to help us deal with support tickets. And I guess in some senses, it's a little more obvious when we need to hire and what that looks like for hiring people on the support team, right? Because it's like if the ticket inbox starts exploding and we're not clearing it out at the end of the day, you know, like we might need to bring someone else on the team. We're working with this guy named Brent, who is kind of one of those unicorn types, who is like a really, really good designer, but also a really talented developer. Mm -hmm. And so we, I don't want to say a tug of war, like it hasn't gotten, uh, you know, unfriendly yet, but we do have a little (laughs) bit like, I'll be like, hey, you know, I want to see if Brent can like help me, you know, put this landing page design or, you know, do something on like the marketing side. And then we got Justin on the developer side and saying, well, you know, Brent was working on this thing for me and like, you know, (laughs) doing the little tug of war and like, again, having some sort of a framework and a reporting structure would would probably make that process easier but we haven't gotten to the point yet where it's become become a burden or become an issue for us i guess well that's good and you know and i qualify this i don't know that a company of 10 or certainly a company of three right but i don't know the company of 10 and 11 like yourself needs this operating structure figured out completely, especially if things are working and you have a a general, I ask mostly because honestly, I'm just looking to bounce ideas off of each (laughs) of other people. So I always bring it up and say, so where are you guys at in this uh, particular place? Because I'd love to to pick your brain on that because it is something that we're dealing heavily with. One, it's, you know, to increase team morale, to increase ownership of of ideas and projects as they're working through that. So we don't get into politicking for, you know, like you talk about that issue of dealing with you have this person who is extremely talented and skilled and you can use them in multiple facets instead of, you know, you guys don't necessarily have this issue. Like you said, it hasn't gotten to like this contentious situation, but how do you resolve that issue uh, without politicking and trying to lay down the gauntlet of who has authority? And at some point you just say, well, this is my domain and this is what their role is. And so this is how this works. And if you want to petition that, we have a process and a policy for which you can do that. And thinking of that, maybe I'm a unicorn in the entrepreneurial space where I actually really enjoy structure and organizational thinking <laughs> and people are like dude i just want to run my business and sell product and get build fans like that's all i want to do right now <laughs> and if that's working that's awesome maybe we need more because i need more i don't know i don't know how much i project onto the company my own needs sometimes <laughs> yeah no i can relate to that it, it's that was um, a lot of is, information <laughs> no no do you know what that reminded me of like instantly is the whole like code editor thing so i've always been a big fan of like tricking out my code editor and oh, yeah. you know, getting all the third-party plugins and and the UI extensions and this and that. And, you know, I'll spend an afternoon learning like a new suite of keyboard shortcuts to use my code editor and, and this and that. And then I'll look over at Justin, who's just, you know, he's, he's more of a vanilla, you know, code editor type of guy. He's not as into the tooling. And he will have built something like in all of that time <laughs> that I was uh, <laughs> out there researching and tinkering. And, you know, he'll have actually produced uh, something of value. So <laughs> there is a like a happy. Right. <laughs> happy medium between, you know, wanting to focus and learn uh, about the tooling and actually getting things done. And I think it kind of applies to what we're talking about with the, the infrastructure and, and processes. I think you're right. And luckily, I'm not in the anymore, really. I'm not into the day-to-day processes of the building of the product, of the supporting of the product, even the marketing of the product. I am more of an advisor, 
You know, I give some feedback here and there. I, I get brought in on the UI and UX stuff because I know CSS and UI, UX better than anyone else on the team currently. So I get brought in for that stuff, but it's almost like I'm the polish at the end of the project. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's give it to James now and he can style it. <laughs> and make We made it work. Now he can make it look pretty and functional and useful. Nice. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's great. I can do that. But because of that, I have more time to work on the tooling, if you will, and hopefully not distract the team while I'm in the process. We actually had to institute some, this is kind of just kind of a sidebar. It's kind of funny because I, you probably know this and you deal with this. I think most entrepreneurs are idea people, right? And so we're just always throwing out what ifs ideas into the air. And I realized, because I guess I'm very evangelistic about my ideas and my thoughts, so I can talk them up like I have made a a decision that this is something we should be doing as a company. And all of a sudden, I'll throw something out there and I'll be like, you know, what if this would be really cool, blah, blah, blah. And I talk about this idea and I get really excited about it. And then I find out like somebody on the team has taken it as a mandate (laughs) to do that thing and start doing it. I'm like, wait, why are you working on that when you're supposed to be working on this? And you're like, well, you said, blah, blah. I'm like, no, dude, that was just an idea. (laughs) So I have to coach the team that when you think I'm speaking at a 10, of excitement and mandate, it's actually probably like a two or a three because that's just my personality. You should take it as a two or a three in priority unless I put it on a to-do list. So I've had to take to having these kind of idea things behind closed doors with people who I can trust to not take it too seriously or to measure me and pull me down and say, yeah, we don't have time for that. I could definitely yeah, I can relate to that. I, um, I think what I do is I'll, I'll have to catch myself and say... I'm not actually saying we should do this like this is, you know, like I'm having let's explore this idea and, you know, we might get excited about it and we might be like having a fun, spirited conversation. But but then taking a step back and and saying, well, we're not (laughs) this is we shouldn't do this, but let's keep talking about it and uh, (laughs) keep thinking about it. I do. I find myself having to make that qualifier like, hey, this is I'm just talking out loud into the (laughs) air. Nobody do anything. And then I feel like after we're done and I walk out of the room, I have to say, now, nobody's going to act on this, right? This is just this was like, eh, let it just, let's just, let's just <laughs> let the idea ruminate in the space. Let it, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of funny. So, I mean, these are the types of things that structure help us at times. And the reason I'm thinking about structure is to protect my team from me. That's why I want structure in place is to protect the team from me. Sure. Uh, I think funny, that's what yeah. it comes down to. <laughs> Efficiency. <laughs> You have a new project that just actually just launched just recently, am I correct, called Beaver Themer? Yep, exactly. Can you describe what that is for those listening? I have a little bit of an idea, but I haven't actually had a chance to play with it hands-on yet. Yeah. Beaver Themer is an extension to Beaver Builder. So it's an add-on product that adds additional functionality to Beaver Builder. And so the way Beaver Builder works within WordPress is that It's a page builder, so you can design the content of your WordPress site. Uh, But what Beaver Builder previously wouldn't let you edit or modify were things that came from your site's theme. So your header or your footer or also your layouts for things like blog posts or WooCommerce products or custom post types. So Beaver Themer brings the ability to edit a lot of those traditional kind of like theme elements with the page builder tool. So you can design a site's header and footer in Beaver Themer. You can also build a template in Beaver Themer for something like a WooCommerce product. So you could say, you know, I want my product image here. And then underneath that, I want my customer reviews. And then underneath that, I want, you know, the the buy now button and this and that. 
So you design it as a template and then you can apply it to multiple products or posts or pages. So all those, the headers, the footers, uh, the theme parts, and then the templating functionality are all new features of Beaver Themer. That is awesome. I mean, that's super powerful. And if, if you've used Beaver Builder and you haven't checked out Beaver Themer yet, the implications, I think, are something that people don't think about. Previously, right, with Beaver Builder, you could basically build out your content of your site, right? But your site would still look like whatever your theme looked like. And if you wanted to change that dramatically, you would have to edit the theme. You'd have to go through and do all the stuff you'd want to with the theme, with the exception of maybe doing like a full-on landing page where Beaver Builder could kind of just say, I'm just going to ignore everything that your site does. But then it's still just a page-by-page-by-page process, which is like if you did it that way, think of it like in the old days when you were just doing everything HTML and anytime you change the menu on the homepage, you had to change it on every subpage because, you know, you weren't, maybe you weren't doing PHP and you weren't doing includes or something of that nature. You would have to repeat this process over and over again. With this, then you can actually build out an entire theme, regardless of what your theme is and have full control and make those things repeatable. They work on archives pages, they work on, you can make any post type, you can have a very, a, an easy, repeatable theme for those post types. I, that's super powerful. I love that idea. Thank you, yeah, and that's exactly it. You hit the nail on, on the head. It, it's a big time time saver and it makes the original tool, the original page builder, a lot more versatile and a lot more powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's been an exciting, we launched that last month, so it's been a really exciting couple of weeks here. We'd been working on it for almost a year internally. So we had that moment of, you know, pushing the bird out of the nest and, and watching to see if he flies or falls. And <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. This was our first extension as well. So it was technically our first product launch since we launched Beaver Builder three years ago. And the difference was <laughs> like the contrast between the two launches was crazy because when we did Beaver Builder, you know, we were unknowns. We It was our first product. It was, uh, you know, this time around we had, you know, a community to release to and we had a network of people to reach out to to help us kind of test and promote and, and build this thing. So it's, yeah, it was, it was a really, it was a really fun experience to do it all over again, but with the kind of momentum already rolling in our direction from before. This is really kind of a neat process for, I think, product owners to be thinking about as they're building out their own products, because I assume I'm going to make I'm going to make a wild assumption that you had a really, really healthy, healthy launch as it comes to sales and revenue for this product. It went better than than I think we expected it to go. You know, we have a great community which we're really fortunate to have. So we knew that we were going to, you know, when we put the alpha version out before we technically released it, we, we had people using the product and giving us feedback. But, you know, when you ask everyone to like, you know, use something for free and then ask them to pull out their wallets and pay you, you know, you never really know, <laughs> never really know what, what's going to happen next. But to me, this is, this is why I love the add-on model. Again, I don't think the add-on model is ready for everyone. And I don't necessarily think you should do an add-on model where you have 40 add-ons like we have. Like that's cumbersome and it's difficult to manage. And with a small team, it, I mean, you're really managing 40 products. You're not managing one product. That adds a technical debt and a, an administrative debt that is sometimes very hard to bear and, and kind of think through. But the reason I love this add-on model so much is the power of back to the base. Like you get to sell something back to the base who 
are likely people who've been asking for something like this anyway and are loving this idea, but you don't have to find new customers. Now, certainly I believe this product brought you new customers because I don't know of any other builder that can do this kind of granular control over the every single element of a theme, which is super, super powerful. So there's no doubt it brought new customers, but just this ability to have a pretty solid launch that I would think has a huge impact, at least initially, on your revenue numbers instantly to be able to drop a product that you have a, a fan base of people who are like, yeah, absolutely, I'm going to, I'm going to pony up for that. You know, everybody's different. You know, you get in the community and you you kind of watch people complain about what they do or don't like about products, and you have. I don't see any way publicly a lot of people dinging you guys on anything that you guys are doing or complaining about pricing or anything like that. So it seems like you have hit really well on the value to product for most people. I mean, I think you could charge more, certainly, but I'm not going to get into that right this second. (laughs) Oh, well, (laughs) thanks for the kind words, man. I really appreciate it. That's really nice of you to say. You know, it's funny because, you know... Let's be honest here. I'm going to talk as one entrepreneur to another. I'm going to tell you, I'm jealous oh. <laughs> um, in a positive way, not in a, in a hateful way. I'm jealous of you guys' success. You guys have done an amazing job. Maybe not jealous isn't the right term. I'm super proud of you guys and, and what you guys have accomplished. And I am encouraged and inspired to figure out how we can do more because of how you guys are pushing your products and building your community. It's it's pretty exciting to see. But it, it's just neat to see a product. And and like you said, it's the first product, you know, it's a single add-on that builds onto your base product. It's a powerful thing because a lot of times we products, we spin our wheels. We did it once. We had a little product ninja demo that we were we put out there and it works. I mean, it does kind of what we need it to do. It could certainly be better, but it it split our attention away and it's not something that would go back to our customers. Like our customers of Ninja Forms do not need Ninja Demo in in almost all cases. Like there's very few crossover points where they need something like Ninja Demo. And so it's a hard, but when you can sell back to your base, I mean, that's a huge pool of people who've already seen the value of what you add and now you're giving them even more so why wouldn't they, you know, if they already love the community that you're in? So it's a strategic thing for, I think, entrepreneurs to be thinking about, which is how can I sell back to the customers? How can I increase the value of my current customers, not just always trying to, how do I get new customers? That will happen. You know what I mean? If you're, you're growing, that is going to happen. What are your thoughts on that particular side of it as you've now been a month in of launching a product back to, really, in a way, back to your customers? So, yeah. Okay. So let's see. Where are we? <laughs> where do I dig in? in it's interesting to hear on on Ninja Demo that it's because that, that makes sense hearing you say it like that. That it's it's not necessarily a product that your original customer base is gonna is mm-hmm. gonna be interested in, right? Because you know some of them are probably building products that they need demo sites on, but a lot of people probably aren't. Sure. Quick aside. I don't know if I ever told you the story, but we launched our Beaver Builder demo. We built it in house, like our live demo. Yeah. And we spent a few weeks building it and we launched it and then i think it was might have even literally been the next day you guys announced ninja demo and we all had that like forehead slap <laughs> moment we're like gosh darn it like <laughs> we just spent you know however much time building this thing and here it is as a product we we could have bought it so sorry yeah we're not customers but only because of the bad timing <laughs> no that's that's totally okay there's plenty of people who are not customers for plenty of reasons <laughs> so you yeah, you bring up an interesting an interesting point on the selling back to the base and creating 
products around the base that you know you have. I think it, in some ways, yeah. it's a, like comparing our two launches. The second launch, you know, the launch of Beaver Themer was a lot easier, I guess, to get traction. It wasn't easier in the sense that we had a lot to keep up with. There was a lot more kind of noise being generated and a lot more questions and people that we wanted to be you know, proactive and respond to and this and that. But yeah, it was a lot easier to, to get traction and actually get the product into people's hands because yeah, we had that community to start with. I think that the pop culture kind of cliche that kept coming up for us was the one hit wonder, right? Like we didn't want to be the one hit wonder. And, ah. you know, even if you're, you're, you know, you have your big fan group of, and but then if you release a dud, it, that you're just going to disappoint your fans, right? There's almost as much riding on, uh, on that second product as there was, or as there would have been, I guess, if we had just started out from scratch. But so it, it made some things easier it made some things more challenging right now now that we've gotten a month past the launch and we did basically our marketing strategy for the launch was to market back to the base we didn't yeah. do a lot of outbound kind of marketing or uh, but now we're trying to figure out what that looks like we have a new kind of product so when, if someone comes to our website do we tell them about beaver builder the page builder now or do we tell them about the package that includes beaver themer and like yeah. figuring out how the new extension kind of fits in to the story we're, we're telling into the suite of products that we're offering. We have some communication challenges, I think, to solve over the next couple of weeks to kind of dial that in um, and, and or maybe to experiment on. We're really not sure where, like, if we should be trying to get the world to come to our site to learn about Beaver Builder or Beaver Themer and, you know, or both or one at a time. Or just Beaver Theme Builder. <laughs> yeah right and then and then of course we have to explain like what all these things are to everyone that's like who are these crazy guys that just keep naming things after beavers what, what, like, <laughs> yeah it is it's super tough like we have that same problem with ninja forums because while yes we have a free core plugin it's not what we're trying to advertise necessarily so when people come to our site it's like do we advertise a specific add-on do we push to specific memberships you know you can't be all things to all people so you dilute your message if you try to focus on you know too many things and so you have to kind of pick something and that's all comes down to segmentation and thinking through all you know who are your customers and who's hitting your site but yeah it's challenging it's super it's super tough Tell me a little bit about that marketing strategy, though. What were some of the things that you employed to perhaps ensure the success of your launch? Did you have any particular strategy in mind? Was it just email campaigning? Or did you, I think about like Ninja Forms 3, we did this whole big process and perhaps we went too long with it. <laughs> and uh, so I'm curious to hear what your strategy was. Okay, so let's see. We did a few different things. One one area of our kind of marketing strategy and, and marketing just kind of push in general that we've been doing over the last few months is we're, we're working with a digital marketing agency that we've been really happy with. And particularly, they're helping us out. They're kind of a data-driven agency. So they're helping us out a lot on the paid advertising mm -hmm. front and also on the SEO front. So we worked with them to get an ad campaign going or people who were customers of ours that hadn't bought Beaver. So since we were Beaver Themer was an upgrade extension product, we basically grabbed a list of all of our customers, gave it to them and let them build an ad campaign around, you know, if someone hasn't bought Beaver Themer yet, let's try and find them on the web and let's, you know, let them know what we're doing. Yeah. So we launched 
an alpha version of Beaver Themer for free to our community several months before we launched the final product. So that, along with being kind of a testing and, and QA effort, was also a marketing effort. Like we had a buzz kind of growing in our community for a long time around the product. And, you know, similar to, to Beaver Builder, we had really good kind of word of mouth traction or word of mouth growth just from putting it out there early and letting people use it for free to test. And then again, so there, there was a lot of excitement around the product before we launched it. Uh, we didn't know if that was going to translate into, you know, revenue, though. Yeah. Um, but that was part of the strategy, I'd say. There's a huge tension there for your team. And I know we felt it, too, with the various launches that we do. And it's a tension of development in a lot of ways, right, where you have something. You obviously had something alpha-esque, right, something that people could actually use. So it wasn't unuseful, like something they could install and it could do basically the things that you wanted it to do. Otherwise, why put it out there? And there is this tension of, well, if it's at that stage, let's just launch it. Why sit on it? So there's this this tension of launching too soon. And then there's this tension of launching too late, of, of sitting on it too long until you're like, you, you know, we're going we're gonna to beat this thing to death. And all of the buzz and all of the goodwill that we're building up is going to go away. That was some of the tension we struggled with with Ninja Forms 3 was we started releasing these. We started doing a little developer podcast explaining all the things that were going to be changing so that people would be up to date. We would do videos showing off the product. We would let people install it. I was at events showing people on my phone and like going through this process. And then after a while, we're like, are we going to launch this thing yet? (laughs) I'm running out of material to market and promote. And we're still working on it. And then finally, we just had to set a hard date and say, come hell or high water for good or for bad, this is launching on this day. And the way we solved it, this is kind of funny. This is my own social engineering of how I made my team make sure we launched it. I made them commit to a date. And then I mailed packages to a bunch of people that said the date we were going to launch it and the time we were going <laughs> to launch it and that they were going to get on social media and celebrate with us. There was no coming back from that. <laughs> like there were boxes in people's hands with T-shirts and candy and l- some whiskey <laughs> and shot glasses and everything you could imagine. It was like, now what are you going to do? <laughs> so that's how yeah. I forced my team's hand. You like that manipulation? Smart. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do like that a lot. Physical, uh, physical goods to <laughs> printed with the date. <laughs> Uh, it was it was kind of funny. It was like, we can't not launch. Chris Lemma has a box that says we are launching today and to join <laughs> us on Twitter. We can't not launch. <laughs> what we had done, we put a date on the calendar for Beaver Themer that we wanted it to be completed by. And yeah. so it would be launch ready by this date. And then it was my request. I was like, hey, let's get it ready and then give ourselves two weeks from that date, like let's put the date on the calendar and then launch two weeks after. So we'll have a two week window to do promotion and to do outreach and to, you know, get a kind of some PR buzz going around and reaching out to, you know, people that are writing uh, newsmakers and influencers and things like that. And so we did that, but then uh, Chris Lemma was actually giving us a hard time. He was like, when are you guys going to launch this thing, man? Like I've been playing. Like, <laughs> and See, he, it's he, that tension. <laughs> he posted something in Facebook about how uh, we were hanging out with him at, at 
San Diego, I think, at WordCamp. And we told him, like, it, it jokingly, we're like, oh, all right, Chris, like, we'll get it out earlier for you. No big deal. Like, we're sorry, you know, we'll, we'll do it. But then he went into our Facebook group and said, hey, this just in, like, Beaver Themer's launching earlier, <laughs> thanks to me. So, <laughs> but so we did. We shortened it by a week. Instead of doing a two-week window, we did a one-week a one-week window. And I just kind of put the pedal a little closer to the floor to make sure we got everything done. That's awesome. That's always really tough. You know, so you talk about San Diego and that little, that pressure to launch a little earlier. I remember another tension that was going on at that exact same time overhearing was you guys were still trying to nail down the pricing. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we going to sell this thing for? Can you talk about that tension from the product space? Like you, you have this product, you want to sell it. You're trying to figure out what are the things you guys are thinking through as you're saying, well, like, how much are we going to charge for this thing? What were those tensions and challenges you were dealing with? I think we went through kind of a couple different phases on trying to figure out the strategy for this extension. And I mean, I think one of the options, although it wasn't one that we considered all that seriously, but one of the options was just to roll it out for free as a feature, as part of the, as part of the product. Right. You know, if we were to do that, would the additional kind of features and functionality have the potential to bring us into enough kind of adjacent markets or enough to kind of grow our, mm-hmm. our revenue really, and like our grow our growth rate to the point where it justifies the investment. So that was kind of like on one end of like the extreme end of the spectrum was, you know, let's like, are we going to even sell this thing at all? And then on the other end of the spectrum was the pricing and kind of like you were saying this, talking about trying to figure out who our base of customers, like who our customers were, and then what an appropriate price to value ratio would be for the product and the context of who was using it. So we kind of discovered, we did a lot of surveying and talking with people both in our community and outside of our community, you know, folks like yourself and Dilemma and and mentors and peers to try and get all this dialed in. One of the things that we we kind of discovered in doing all that was that a lot of our customers and users are professionals and that we're people building websites for other people which we knew, but I think we were surprised at how many, we always kind of figured we had a good group of people that were, we'd call them do-it-yourselfers, you know, people that found WordPress because someone told them, you know, to use WordPress for their website. And maybe they were, uh, you know, organizing an event or had a hobby website or a small business, but, you know, they were building websites, but that wasn't their career path or that wasn't uh, their, their expertise. So them, and then also people who were professionals that were building lots of websites for other people. So we discovered really that the bulk of our customers are professionals that are building websites for other people. And then we tried to find a price point where it was going to be a no brainer in terms of the value. Like if you're basically, you know, if you're, if you have an hourly rate and you're building websites, this is going to pay itself off on your first project. That was the balance we tried to strike. And just for the record for anyone, the, the price we wound up on was $147. We actually also did a pricing survey of all of our users where we asked them, you know, how much would you be willing to pay for this tool, which was really interesting. Tell me about the results of that. So you sent an email to your customers asking them, because that seems like a bold proposition. We have this tool. What are, you, what are you willing to pay us for it? Did you give them a range? Did you give them to just a few options or did you just leave it open-ended and just say, name your price? Like, we're curious to see what you come up with. Yeah, good question. So the survey specifically was advice handed down to us. So we kind of followed the traditional uh, model here. 
the interesting part was we asked on a scale of one to 10, after we explained the product and asked, have you used it or not? I mean, the goal was to get this survey into the hands of people that had used Beaver Themer. So most of the people we were surveying were people we knew were using the, the alpha and the beta. Right. Um, but we asked, how valuable do you find the product? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, give us a zero to 10 scale, kind of zero, not valuable, 10 most valuable. Yeah. And then we asked, how much would you be willing to pay for it? And the strategy there was that first you get someone thinking about the value. You know, if you just up and ask them, how much are you willing to pay for it? It's not going to have as much meaning as if you ask them, how much value do you find? Mm -hmm. And then asking, how much do you think you should price it? Right, because you might reveal a, a huge disconnect if somebody has a value of 10 and they're like, and I'd pay nine bucks for it. Like, all exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't count because you obviously can't even figure out what value is important, like what that means to you. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And, and then again, the, taking that advice with a grain of salt, right? Because when you ask someone what they're willing to pay for something, it's really hard to get a get an honest answer. Again, going back yeah. to the idea that, you know, when we were given the ALF for free, it was really easy to get people, uh, get people on board using it. And everyone, you know, said, yeah, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. But you never really know, like getting someone to actually sign that check or, you know, pull the bill out of their wallet is a lot harder than getting someone to say they will. Yeah. Pricing is, is super challenging. Matter of fact, there's, there's this topic going on right now in the community, right? WooCommerce has just announced a, I wouldn't say it's a dramatic pricing change, you know, we've seen as WordPress has kind of gone through phases, right? But in the WordPress space, it started off with everyone was doing one-time purchases and no recurring payments. And then they're like, okay, now there's manually recurring payments with a discount to entice people to come back to your site. And then we went to automatic renewals and some of us are still doing discounts on automatic renewals and others are saying, well, the reason we did a renewal discount was because you had to manually come to our site and do it. We wanted to entice you to come and do that. So now that we don't have to do that, we'll just charge you 100% all the time. It's like That's just the rate of the plugin. So there's this evolution in pricing that happens in WordPress as we discover new things and we put new things into play that we can, you know, for a long time, it just wasn't a common ability to do recurring payments in WordPress. Like the e-commerce systems either didn't support it or whatever the case may be. So WooCommerce now is in a situation, I'm just curious to see from a product owner position, I don't really have a horse in the race. I'm not a WooCommerce customer myself, so I'm solely speaking of this from as a product owner myself. They have changed their pricing where they are no longer offering or renewing a discount on their, their subscriptions. And of course, the community seemingly and i say the community but really our bubble of a community is shouting out loud you know about their frustrations with this change what is your take on these uh, initial pricing changes that woocommerce has kind of come under fire for yeah it's it's tough because i i relate to both you know i relate to the business owner side and the customer side mm -hmm. how do you say it's it's I hate to be like on my high horse pedestal here and say, oh, they did this wrong. But <laughs> I'll say it I when think... we get there, if it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the approach that, that they took in announcing or lack of announcing the price change was a little bit interesting. And it's probably not the direction we would have gone if we were making that decision. Yeah. Just for the, you know, like for the record, and as far as I understand it, they got rid of their renewal discount, but they didn't make a big announcement, at least that I heard, or they and they didn't grandfather in any of their existing customers. So a customer got an email about their renewal 
that's how pretty much everyone learned that they were dropping that discount, I think, is that it came through saying, hey, your subscription's renewing at the full price for uh, this year on Tuesday. And, you know, thanks for your support. <laughs> um, right. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Is that that's more or less what happened? Yeah, right? so, there, so, so the debate that I see going on a lot, like there's people upset for different things, right? There's people upset that they just got rid of their renewal discount. And to those uh-huh. people, I'm like get over it because you know that's the thing that we have a hard time with companies don't owe anything but to be transparent and honest about the decisions that they're making it is their right to charge whatever they want so if WooCommerce wants to charge 100% for renewals, it is well within their right to charge it. If you don't think the product is valuable enough to do that, then you look for another solution. That's that's just the way the economy works. Sure. Done deal, in my opinion. Sure. There's the other side of it, which is they think they should be grandfathered in, right? That, well, yeah, but they could have grandfathered people in and blah, 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 blah. Yes, that certainly could be done. I don't have the customer base that WooCommerce has. I can't imagine the administrative, like sometimes we don't, from user's perspective or customer perspective, is you don't think about the company that's taken on to do that. When we went to the add-on model back in 2013, it was January 3rd of 2013, we launched under the add-on model. We grandfathered in everyone who had bought a one-time purchase. We grandfathered everybody into those add-ons. But we were talking 400 customers. <laughs> like, there was no administrative debt on our end really to take that on. And that's up to the company to decide if they want to take on that debt for goodwill or for whatever reason. So on that side, I would also say, uh, oh, well. <laughs> like, I don't necessarily think they owe you grandfathering you in. It's certainly a nice gesture. I think it's a goodwill offering. It's certainly something you can do. But I don't know that any company owes you to grandfather you in. We all agreed to terms and conditions that said these terms and conditions could change at any time. The next problem with it is the way they presented it, which is not presenting it. And I don't even know if they send a notice saying that you're going to renew. The words that I'm hearing is... My card was charged for the full amount. Yeah. I was given a receipt that said you had taken the full amount from my my card when I was expecting 50%. Now that is problematic. That is where we talk about our high horse, right? From a company standpoint, there are a lot of things that may have hurt you as a company, whatever. I don't know if it's you just cancel subscriptions and then send an email to your customer base and say, because they're going to renew at full price, we didn't want to charge you automatically at that. If you want to agree to continue to be a customer, you'll have to come and manually renew. Or I don't know how, or they give them a you know, a two-month window that says, hey, you're going to renew at this full price, cancel your subscription now if you don't want to. Like, I don't know what the right communication method is, but the fact that there was no communication and that people were just all of a sudden being charged, and like some of these people have thousands of dollars in add-ons that they were expecting to renew at 50%, that's the, kind, that, that's the part that I think eats me away. I think WooCommerce is totally right to be able to change their pricing and renewal discounts and all this stuff. That is, I think, perhaps the concern is what it does to the brand and their community. And then the bigger argument, I think, is does it ruin trust for the WordPress ecosystem as a whole? Because if this company can decide to do this and you can know that you could purchase something and a company might charge you for something else a year later on a whim, does that hurt the economy as a whole 
that people begin to lose trust in the space because they're like, well, then any WordPress company could say, I'm going to charge you $99 a year, but next year they charge me $199. Like, what does it mean for renewing discounts, price changes going up? Not just I've removed a renewal discount, but we just raised the prices of our product and now you're going to pay twice as much. And because you're renewing subscription, we're just going to charge you twice as much. That's the concern that I think is kind of reverberating around this kind of a decision. And I, I don't think you and I wouldn't do that, right? Like in our companies, we certainly would not just double charge somebody because we decided to raise our price, right? Now, whether you know you and I would grandfather or whether you and I, like any of that, none of that matters. Certainly we may change our prices, but the fact that there's just no communication, you know, Automatic has a big legal staff. At what point is it illegal? <laughs> Like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, I've heard somebody throw that around. I'm like, that sounds illegal. I don't, I don't know. And maybe I don't have all the facts. And I, I will, I will preface, or maybe post preface, if you will. <laughs> um, I, I will say, I don't know the logistics. I'm not a customer. So I don't know if people were just being told after the fact, if they were getting a renewal email ahead of time, like two days before. Um, still not great, but at least it's an acknowledgement before the fact. I don't know how exactly that happened, but if it is, a, if it is after, the fact if that is the data uh that seems shady as all get out oh man you bring up some really really interesting points and points or perspectives I, I hadn't even really thought of it through before i guess the idea of grandfathering in your existing customers for a company like ours where our community and like word of mouth growth and the goodwill that we have with our community the, the idea of not grandfathering in people in that scenario for us just seems like unfathomable like i couldn't even imagine not doing it sure but if that's you know like that's just how that piece would fit into our existing strategy of how we communicate and how we build community and how we kind of operate yeah it's interesting that yeah maybe woocommerce doesn't have uh, or automatic now doesn't have that kind of same incentive structure but then also a really interesting point I thought you brought up there is the point of how does this affect the space beyond just you know outside of of woocommerce how does this affect the wordpress product space i'm curious uh all of a sudden this is a more important issue isn't it right you, you you hear about this a lot of times what happens is we hear something like this and i can even i at times you know i if i hear a customer complain about a product you know i'll use you guys as an example even though i've never heard anyone actually seen anyone say it but if somebody comes out and says you know i can't believe the like the beaver builder changed their pricing i'm like oh we'll get over it right like i'm like Companies change, prices go up. That's the way it is. I know how hard you guys are working on amazing products. I know the value proposition. The it is worth more. So if you raise your prices, I'm like thumbs up. Good, go for it, right? But I think at times we can take an issue like this and trivialize it and say, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. But then we don't think this is actually like I'm concerned as a product owner that one of, if not the largest company in our space is making a decision that they kind of hold the brand of WordPress, right? They hold the brand in their hand almost as synonymous with automatic. And if they make a decision like this, it does impact us all. Like that is a spot or a blemish on the community as a whole. And so there are definitely some concerns there. And I don't, like I said, I don't agree that they shouldn't be able to raise their prices and all this stuff. But if what people are saying is true about getting notifications only after the fact or after their card has been charged, that's super troublesome to me. I think there was probably a blunder in there on the marketing <laughs> and communication 
the issue is that because even at their new pricing where you're paying the full price every year, I think there's still a ton of value. I mean, the conversation is not about WooCommerce and why it's worth as much as it's worth or what you're getting out of it. The conversation is about, you know, this shady company pulled this, you know, <laughs> manipulative move and everyone's getting upset at them. I feel like it could have been an opportunity for them to, if they had spun it better, to have PR push, you know, like they might have gotten some backlash for it, but they could have announced it. They could have gotten some press and they could have, you know, communicated the news and made it newsworthy as opposed to it coming up in this negative context. But to play devil's advocate, on the other hand, it is encouraging to see. So for renewal discounts, particularly for us, were one of those things where we made the decision to offer a renewal discount because everyone else was doing Mm -hmm. it. And we thought when we were setting up our sales page, if we had a little line on our pricing page that said, yes, you know, we offer a discount on renewals that would uh, help us sell more. We were so young and and dumb and fresh, we didn't even think about the fact that if people did buy it, we were going to have to give them that renewal discount in a year, (laughs) right? Like we weren't thinking a year ahead at all. (laughs) And it's been one of those areas where we kind of wished we'd thought a little harder about it because we do a 40% renewal discount. And it's, uh, I don't know, I guess just uh, in the context of you know, R&D and developing a product and continuing to maintain, you know, a product and customers at scale, we would have had a little bit more leeway had we not done that. So if the WordPress space starts moving in the direction of not offering renewal discounts, I think that could be a good thing for businesses like ours. But again, yeah, it's also worrisome. And then the manner in which they implemented it and went about making this change, I think could have been, could have been improved. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm encouraged anytime a product in our space raises their prices or stands their ground on a more sustainable model. I totally support that. And, you know, we offer a discount to renewals. Ours is actually probably one of the steeper discounts. We offer a 50 percent renewal discount. Now we have a, a tactical reason for that. It is partially because everybody else was doing it. But then we actually sat down and reasoned through and said, you know, here's the thing. Like I think e-commerce solutions, easy digital downloads, WooCommerce, none of them should have renewal discounts. Like I don't think any of them should have renewal discounts. Because you are making money, like you're the purpose of those is to collect money, right? Through so you have to be making something anyway. So they are driving your revenue in many cases. I would say the same thing for something like Beaver Builder or a page builder or a theme builder that you guys release because you are building high scale projects, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollar projects using this product over and over and over and over. The return is like amazing the amount of money you make back. The reason we didn't with forms is because some people, and we had to, we're trying to think about all of our customers, right? There are certainly customers that use forms to build really complex things from an agency level, but then there's this side of, I'm just a a single user who needs a a form that does this one thing, and I'm not making any money off of this, and so, you know, a 100% renewal on a project like that might be more cost prohibitive, and so we're thinking that, but that's a segmentation issue, that's a question of who is our customer base and making those decisions for that. I certainly don't think everybody should have renewal discounts, I don't necessarily think everybody needs to get rid of renewal discounts, you have to think about your product. Beaver Builder adds huge value to an agency who is doing handling massive amounts of sites. Absolutely doesn't need a renewal discount. WooCommerce and, and all these other commerce solutions, they are helping you run a store. 
that you can collect money. Like, of course, you shouldn't need to get a discount on those things. Pricing is a challenging, obviously, but it's definitely an interesting conversation for people to be thinking about. And I think product owners need to be thinking about these pricing things that happen in our space, not just for the sake of raising prices or setting a new model, but you know, what are the decisions we make? How does that reflect on the greater community? And that's definitely something to think about. Yeah, I totally agree. Interesting stuff and the execution in doing that. You need to be mindful of it too, because like we've raised our prices. We've seen several companies in the WordPress space raising their prices. I feel the same way. I'm encouraged when I see it, but I do think it's a, you know, an opportunity for, for mishap if you don't uh, go about it right. Yeah. You know, I have so many things I want to talk to you about. I have a list here, and I think I've gotten through two of my items. So we're going to have to have you back on and talk about more. I do want to bring up one more topic before we close out as uh, running longer than I usually run. And so... I'm going to bring it up, but we'll have you back on. We'll talk about some other issues because there's a lot of other stuff. And this is, I've been long-winded apparently. So I've talked too much, um, which is my nature. Uh, no, I could, I think we could do this all day. I think we have spent a day or so doing it's this true, before, it's but, true. but no, always a pleasure. Uh, no, I, I love it. So there's a new feature coming out. I think it's slated now. It's in a plugin currently, but it's slated for, I believe, WordPress 5.0. Apparently is a huge conversation piece as it pertains to page builders and that is the plugin of Gutenberg. So for those of you who don't know what Gutenberg is, Gutenberg is a effort to kind of rethink content creation within WordPress. Currently, WordPress, when you write a post, you open up the tiny MCE editor and you write your content and it's a little bit bulky and it's cumbersome. And any developer who's tried to extend uh, tiny MCE outside of the post editor knows what a pain in the you know, pain, I'll just say it, pain in the ass that it is. We've yes. all had to deal yes. with it. It's a pain, 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 pain. And so this is a new way of thinking about editing content. In its current state, from what I can tell, it's still in the WP admin currently. But I know that's not the end goal. The end goal is to move it to the front end where people can write and create content and edit content. Uh, what are your thoughts on this project and how it pertains to perhaps the future of WordPress page builders? Good question. Uh, good question, James. Uh, yeah, it's it's. You can that's take a, just a there's piece a lot of that un- if you want. I know there's a lot that you could talk about. Uh, right, a lot to unpack there. Gosh, no, it's yeah. Gutenberg's been really, really interesting. We have been our ears perked up at WordCamp US when Matt was doing his State of the Word and when he announced the kind of new three pillar development cycle, but um, process yeah. or focus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our ears perked up because there is a lot of potential overlap with WordPress customization and what we're doing over at Beaver Builder with page building. And I guess there's, of course, been some natural concern on our team is, you know, is what Gutenberg and what the core team are trying to, to do potentially going to overlap with what we're doing? And is there, you know, the the story of like Apple and and the iPhone is the classic one where, you know, someone would create an app that was a killer feature, you know, maybe the fa- flashlight app. And then, you know, Apple would come along and say, oh, this is a, you know, this is a great feature. We're going to add it to iOS. And then there's no longer a flashlight app company anymore. Right. So we've been keeping an eye on it. We've been with a, you know, kind of healthy concern towards what it could mean for us. But ultimately, I'm excited and I think we're all really excited about the project. I think it has the potential to bring more people to the WordPress platform and to keep WordPress competitive with some of the other options that are out there. And so that's a good thing. I think the Gutenberg project as it exists right now is also been it's been really 
interesting to watch them work and watch the pace at which they're working and to see the progress that they've made. And, and what they have right now is really cool. I was tinkering around with Gutenberg pretty recently. You have to kind of force yourself, I think, to look, like you were saying, to look outside of what it is right yeah. now. I and mean, right now it is a glorified post editor mm -hmm. and it's still in the WordPress admin and, and its wings haven't spread yet, right? But I think it has a lot of really cool potential. We've actually been contributing to, to some of the discussions around Gutenberg and customizing WordPress and particularly what it looks like for Gutenberg to interact with or to be compatible with page builders and how page builders can kind of play nicely with the new core interface that they're implementing with Gutenberg. So we've been trying to be involved with the project. We've been keeping a close eye on it. We haven't changed any of our strategies or product roadmap or anything based on what's going on in Gutenberg yet. Yeah. But I could see it potentially, you know, causing us to maybe want to jerk right or left if they're going in that direction you know like trying to trying to to find what it looks like for beaver builder to fit into that world but yeah i think bringing more people into a wordpress would think is kind of the high-end goal of the the project is is going to be good for yeah, everyone I, I would agree with that i mean certainly in its current state i don't think pay, any page builders really have anything to worry about per se um and and i guess you know WordPress has always gone the direction of, it seems, as kind of the minimum viable solution to get stuff done and allowing and deferring to plugins to enhance and take it further. So it seems to me that even Gutenberg in its fully realized state is never going to be a full theme editor type solution that I can, that as far as I can tell. Um, I don't even know that they've even stated a, a a goal to be that. They just really want a great content creation and editing uh, experience, and they want to get that on the front end so people can see what they're doing while they're doing it, which is, I think, a super powerful tool. This is why page builders are so popular. It's because you get to see it live. You get to see it happen there. I mean, I, I get excited every time I have something to use Beaver Builder on because I'm like, oh, I get to have fun with this. Like this is all, uh -oh. well, you know, I'll say this Beaver Builder fits my style of web design. So, you know, before we got in the product space, I was a web designer. I did front end, you know, front end design, a little bit of light development, but my business partner did most of the heavy lifting, but I did website design, but I wasn't the type of designer that would go into Photoshop and design out a whole web page and then say, all right, now how do I convert this to HTML? I look at HTML and, and building a website kind of like I would think a sculptor would look at a blank block of rock or clay. And I mold it and I remove stuff. And as I remove it, it starts to take shape. And I experiment if what if I put this, you know, what if this shape curved here? And what if this did this? And I, I sculpt and build it out until I reveal the creation. And to me, Beaver Builder is a lot, to me, a lot like a sculpting tool where I can add some items and I can just adjust it, throw a little more clay on the canvas and then mold it and sculpt it and, and shape it out until. So that's why I love page builders is like, even though I can sit there and hand code all of this stuff, it makes me be, it actually just makes me a faster sculptor. I don't have to take as much time going through that process. So it's a lot of fun. So I don't think anything, I don't think page builders have anything to worry about in that. But Gutenberg is definitely an interesting project. I'd encourage everybody, if you've not seen it, you should definitely go install it. It's a plugin. You can get it on WordPress.org, install it, and kind of play around and see what the experience is. There's some nice stuff to it, like definitely a nice direction that they're headed towards. And I'm looking forward to seeing it find synergy with 
with stuff like Beaver Builder as it develops, because I don't think it's going to be a replacement. I think it's going to be more a way to accent just still the content creation. Same way you have to create content in Beaver Builder anyway, right? So <laughs> I don't see why there can't be that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. My hope is that in a perfect world, all of the kind of niceties that Gutenberg is going to bring to WordPress, we could somehow bring those into Beaver Builder. Yeah. Like inline editing has been something we've been wishing we had for a long time. So if if the Gutenberg team can figure out all the UI challenges around that piece and, and polish it up and make it WordPress compatible and get it in there, and then we can kind of piggyback yeah. on top of them and throw it in Beaver Builder, that would be super cool. Do you guys use Tiny MCE? I, I can't even remember. So you have Tiny, I'm sure you have Tiny MCE that puts it on the front end. So you know just how yep. hellacious of a, of a thing, <laughs> how heavy that thing is to deal with. Yes, yes. No, we've, we've always tried to leverage the native WordPress pieces within Beaver Builder. So the text editor is the WordPress Tiny MCE editor. Our media library is the, you know, WordPress media library. So that, yeah, if we could leverage Gutenberg potentially in the future, that would be, that would be amazing. I would like to see doing that as well. Well, we don't use, yeah. So in NinjaForms 2.0, we used the Tiny MC editor for a lot of things, and it just became too cumbersome. And it just ended up making it like on the front end, it just felt weird. If it was a form field that you wanted to do rich text, it just felt heavy. When we did 3.0, we're like, forget it. We're not going to, we're just going to come, we're going to roll a different solution for this. And, but if this works out the way, I could see us adopting that because this feels definitely much more. Uh, in line with our style anyway. So I'm excited about it. I think I think there's definitely uh, um, good points for a lot of people who have had to deal with that kind of editing experience. It'll be fun to see what they do with it. So I'm excited about the project. It just is a closing thought. I think it's in a really fun time right now where it's still exploratory and it's still a lot of, you know, kind of creativity is going into to reimagining what this text editor might look like, or I should just say editor might look like. Yeah. My hunch is that it's not going to be as kind of fun and, uh, <laughs> you know, fun and exciting as time. Because now we're, once that gets figured, once that piece is done, it comes the question of like, well, how do we get this into core? <laughs> and what do we do about backwards compatibility? And like, how is this going to interact with the thousands and thousands of plugins in the repo? I mean, the I feel like the, the nitty gritty integration and the, the politics are all kind of on the horizon looming. But right now we just get to, you know, play with some of these fun editor designs. And just just thinking about the web and WordPress in the future and and some of these fun kind of thought exercises, but then it's going to start getting it's going to take a shift. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to it's going to be interesting. I will say that's one thing I like about with Ninja Forms is being able to work on a project that doesn't have to necessarily deal with all of the things that are in WordPress, even though we are in WordPress. So it's actually kind of nice to kind of live outside <laughs> of that. Like if they make yeah. a change, we're like, that's okay. We kind of, we just take over and do our own little thing inside of WordPress. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's nice. Cause that yeah. sometimes that can be very daunting. So yeah, it's going to be fun to see. You're right. It's, it's, we're, we're at the fun stage now, but it's about to, I think in the, in the near future, like you said, it's about to get a little bit more difficult to see how that actually implements out into the real world and on people's sites. So Things interesting. are going to get real. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robbie, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, how can people get in contact with you other than uh, uh, anywhere that they can get in contact with you and check out your products? Yeah, I am on Twitter at Robbie McCullough, or I honestly, I spend most of my Twitter time on our at Beaver Builder account. 
Our website is wpbeaverbuilder.com, and we have a great community that we were mentioning of uh, users on Facebook in a group called Beaver Builders. So if you're curious to get in touch with me or to learn more about Beaver Builder or give us a try, those would be the those would probably be the best spots to come come have a look. For those entrepreneurs out there, maybe you have a product. I would highly encourage you to look at what Beaver Builder has done as far as building a community around their brand and their product. It's pretty amazing. It's one of the topics that we didn't get to today that I really want to talk on. So we're actually probably going to have him come back. Whenever we come back, we'll have take a whole episode just talking about building a community and what that looks like. How can we leverage that? And what are some of the techniques that we might be able to employ? Because the truth is, uh, I think they've out of many of the products I've seen, there's a few products that have a community that I'm envious of and Beaver Builder and Genesis are two, like those are two spaces where you see this really amazing, nice community, like really sharing ideas and not, you know, not necessarily just fanboys and girls out there, but actually like really just passionate about the product and helping other people in, in the projects that they're working on. So anyway, we'll have him come back on and talk about that. Robbie, thank you so much. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at Mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at Mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.